Amen. So we are concluding the uh, series this morning on uh, living out our faith, or the title being Faith Alive. And we are going to specifically talk about the family of God this morning, or what our responsibility or, or role is in the family of God. When you read through scripture, especially in the New Testament, you'll see terms like we are sons and daughters, we're adopted, we're, chi- we're a child of God. And so all of that tells us that God's heart and design for the church is to be a family. And I know that I haven't experienced that in, in, in every church. I, I feel like we experience that here. I experience that here. And I want that to continue to grow because people need to be connected with family. Listen, there's a lot of people in our community, even though they go to work, they go to school, they're out in the community often, that are feeling alone. And there's something that we can do about that. And it's not necessarily bring them here. We can just begin to reach out and encourage and connect and love them so that they know that they're not alone. God did not design us to walk through this life alone. And I know you might be an introvert and you might uh, periodically and maybe frequently love to be alone. But here's the thing. As I look throughout scripture, I can see this. I can see that one of Satan's strategies is to get you alone to isolate you. One of the things that we see unfortunately happen in the the church, and I think it's because of the way we make each other feel, but one of the things that I've seen happen in the church is, is when somebody falls away into sin or falls into sin, especially if it's something frequently uh, happening in their life, one of the first things they do is withdraw from the church family that they were once connected to. And that's a strategy of our enemy to pull you away, to isolate you, to make you feel shame and guilt, to make you feel like nobody wants you to be around, and that's the exact opposite, and we should be demonstrating that. Listen, I say this from time to time, and I mean it. I pray for the day that we have some disruptions happen in our Sunday morning service, and by that I mean God brings somebody who's drunk or addicted to drugs or just needs freedom. Like, let's not be afraid for that to happen. Could we all agree that we're just okay if our service is disrupted from time to time? Anybody agree with me? And maybe not just time to time, but maybe it happens more often uh, than we would feel comfortable with right now. But this is what it means, that God is bringing people that he trusts for us to lead into freedom, to lead to Jesus, to love, to encourage. So I want that to happen from time to time. I want there to be uh, some discomfort within our congregation from time to time because of those that people that God brings, those people that God brings that are just struggling. And right away, let's be those who would say, man, this is the place for you. This is the place for you. And if it means we're disrupted for a time on a Sunday morning, fine. But this is the place that God wants to bring those who need him. If you're like me, I struggle from time to time with different things. I can be a disruption And I love the fact that I can be with you guys every Sunday morning. I know there's people that are hurting and desperate, desperate for hope and desperate for love and desperate for connection. Could we be that place? I mean, I hope other churches are too, but could we be that place that God says, listen, I can trust grace with this person. I can trust grace with where this person's at and what they're struggling with because we need each other. He's designed it that way. So let's be okay with the mess that sometimes is caused, and maybe not caused enough, but that we're okay with the mess because each one of us are that mess. 
your mess might look different than my mess, and my mess might look different than those that God's going to bring, but we're all a mess without Jesus. But this is the cool thing. In the midst of all of this, (laughs) all of my mess, Jesus comes, and he sets me free, and he offers grace, and he offers love, and he offers forgiveness. And all of a sudden, I don't look as much of a mess as I really am, right? Isn't that awesome? So let's get into the message this morning. An authentic faith is lived out in community where we have responsibility to love and care for one another. There is no such thing as solo Christianity. Let me say that again. There is no such thing as solo Christianity. As much as you might try, there's no such thing. If we're following Christ, it means that I don't follow him alone. I follow him with others who are striving to live a life that is following Jesus. And all the struggles along the way, all the struggles, if one of our brothers and sisters in Christ are struggling, let's be okay with that, acknowledge that, and and still continue to love and still continue to extend grace and continue to demonstrate, continue to demonstrate Jesus to them. But we're not called to live this life alone. A faith that works must be put to work and lived out daily. We've said it from time to time, maybe even every Sunday, faith without works is, right? Faith without actions is really not faith at all. Listen, I really don't know because I can't look into the hearts of people and judge salvation. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are certainly given the responsibility. Paul gives us that, in fact. Uh, We are certainly uh, given the responsibility to look at each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and call out anything that's in our lives that's not of Jesus. We would call that sin. However, this, this judgment of somebody being saved or not saved, I don't know, and I can't make that judgment. However, I do believe that there's going to be many who, who think they're going to spend eternity in heaven because of a prayer that they prayed, and they're not. I also believe that there's going to be many that we're surprised about. Like, whoa, how in the world did they get here? <laughs> right? Because it's not about what we do. To, to receive salvation, however, once we receive salvation, everything in our lives should begin to change and transform so that we're living and sounding, we're looking like Jesus. So if we say that we are a person of faith, we are a Christ follower, we are a disciple, it means that our life begins to change. Sometimes that change drastic, changes drastically. Maybe you know someone like that, that when they gave their life to Jesus, like everything changed. Like from the moment they prayed, everything changed. However, what we see happen most, and including in my own life, it's this whole process of transformation that continues to happen and will continue to happen until Jesus comes. But if we say that we have faith, it's got to be represented or demonstrated by how we live what we do. We're not saved by what we do, but the results of being saved certainly is doing what Jesus did. If you read through the letters that Paul writes to the church, you'll see the mention of the household of God. In fact, we'll see that this morning. Or the household of faith, we see that also used. In these terms, support the truth that we are adopted as God's children, becoming brothers and sisters in Christ. This should be exciting news to us. And it should be so exciting that we're sharing that with those around us that need to be brought in to a group or a community of people who will love and support them. If God is calling us to be family, what does, that, what does that look like? What are the dynamics of the household of God? Have you ever thought about that? We, we know that, I think. We know that we are the family of God, but what are the dynamics of that? And if we went around the room, maybe there'd be a lot of different 
um, points of conversation about the dynamics of your family. How many of you would say, man, you have a, you have a family that there's some dynamics you would rather not share? <laughs> Don't raise your hand, but how many of you ha- have some dynamics within your family that ca- cause you to feel like, man, if uncle so-and-so is there, I'm not going to be, or if cousin so-and-so, or if my sister or my brother, all right? It- it's amazing because each one of us could share dynamics of our family that have some struggles and some tension, and the same would be true in the church, the family of God. However, we walk through this with such grace that we should accept all the dynamics that are are present. If you look around the room, you know right away there's some crazy dynamics in the the family of God, and we should should welcome that. In any family, each member begins to take on responsibility. Sometimes they're assumed just by society and culture, and sometimes they're assigned. Like in my house, in my house, I think about the responsibilities that I have as husband or dad, and one of my responsibilities is I get to kill all the bugs. Any other males in the room, like you get to kill, you, all of a sudden you hear this, ah! and you know right away it's a spider or, or some type of bug. That's just one of the roles. Now, some of you ladies probably don't mind killing bugs, so I'm not saying that you can't kill bugs. Kill bugs. Uh, but it, in, in my family, I'm going to be the one to kill them. Now, I, I will admit, I'm not afraid of, this is so silly, I'm not afraid of spiders, but I'm like so afraid of spider webs. So if I see a spider, I'm like trying to find something. I'll take off my shoe or I'll have something. But if I walk through a spider web, that's when you hear me scream like, <laughs> But anyways, my response, I kill the bugs. I get to unclog all the drains. Any, any husbands in the house, like you are so surprised that your wife still has hair? I'm telling you, I need to go, I need to go into wig business. I do, because when I clean out the drains of our bathtubs, I could create wigs probably every week. But that's one of, sorry, babe. That's one of my responsibilities. I get to, I get to unclog the drains. Uh, how many of you husbands, for the most part, like you take out the trash? Or maybe, you know, we have a trash can in the house. We have trash cans in my garage. And then every Friday morning, I get to take the trash cans out to the road. But, I mean, that's just something we do. And that actually, that's something I want to do, and I don't want it. Uh, my wife to have. How about mow the lawn? How many of you husbands mow the lawn? Primarily, you mow the lawn. How many, any, any wives out there mow the lawn? All right. We got a few. You guys riding lawnmowers? No. no? <laughs> Man, I'm getting myself in so much trouble this morning. I just need to stick to, I just need to, stick to God's word. Uh, he's preaching. <laughs> yeah, now you, need to, now you need to have marriage counseling. How many would say that there's, I'm going to get off this male and female thing because I'm just not. How many of you would say there's one person in the house that typically care, uh, handles the, the car maintenance, the vehicle maintenance, whether you do it yourself or you're the one that takes it and, you know, gets it maintained? Yeah, so in each one of our homes, our, our kids, actually, we start our kids really young, so maybe this has given some parents permission. Our kids start very young at doing chores, and so there's different chores that each one of them do, and as they kind of grow and mature and, and also grow in their ability, they're assigned a different levels of chores within our house. We all, it, it's very natural that that happens. Uh, but I also think that as we look into scripture, we definitely see the evidence that even within the family of God that there's responsibilities. Sometimes those responsibilities are assigned and sometimes we should just take them on because that's who we are in Jesus. Well, let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 through 19. 
I, I still wear my Apple Watch, but it doesn't work. Anybody else have an Apple One, the, the, the first one, and it doesn't work anymore, but you love it so much, you just keep wearing it? Uh, it Chris, if you could get a clock, there you go. That's what I needed. It doesn't work, but I still, it's just, a, maybe it's a comfort thing. It doesn't update anymore. First Thessalonians 5, 12 through 19. Here we go. Let's read this together. I love this passage because we'll see right away uh, some of these responsibilities as, as we see the design that God has set in place for the family of God. Uh, verse 12, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, there we go, the indication we're talking about family, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace uh, with each other. Verse 14, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. So here we are. Paul is addressing family dynamics within the church. I hope you realize that these letters that Paul's writing, he is always addressing very real life problems that are happening among human beings, but more specifically happening within the church. So we see this in Thessalonians, in the book of Romans, in Galatians, in Philippians. Those are all written to, to Christians within these certain cities. But Paul very often is addressing the dynamics of the family of God. And here he is as well. And so we're going to break these down a little bit because there's several things that are said through there. The church is the family of God, and just as there are responsibilities in our biological families, so there's responsibilities in God's family. So we're going to look at two points and, and, and a few things within each one of those points. But here's the first point. Family responsibilities as we live out our faith and community. We see that described within that passage of Scripture. The first thing that we see in verses 12 and 13 is support spiritual leadership. Now let's, let's break that down a little bit because that's more than just uh, finances and, and, and that sort of thing. I begin to think of some ways that as a pastor, when we're talking about the family of God, some of the, some of the primary ways that I would love to see our church family support the, the pastors and other leaders and volunteers that are here. And, and this is one of the thing, two of the things that I, that I thought of right off the top. The first one is this, finding a place to serve. When we talk about this dynamics and, and maybe your responsibility uh, within the family of God is to kill the bugs, right? But how important is that, right? You know, maybe, you're, maybe your responsibility God is calling you to and has designed you for is to be the greeter at the door. You're an extrovert. You love talking to people even first thing in the morning, <laughs> right? You love talking to people. Maybe God has given you those gifts and talents to serve as one of our greeters or ushers. Or, or, and I'm, I'm just naming a few things. There, there's more things that I think God is going to reveal to us as we continue on in the direction that he's calling us in. But one of the ways that I thought that you could support church leadership is by finding the place to serve. And not only does that benefit church leaders, it benefits our entire family. Right, so when you hear somebody, yeah, you go running to find the bug to kill, or right. So wh where's the place that God's saying you can serve? Now, listen, if you if you are if if you're new to the Grace Family, this isn't one of those messages we're trying to make sure everybody gets. But we do want you plugged in. If God's if God calls you to Grace and He begins to give you the indication that this is your church home, one of the ways you can support what happens here and certainly us as leaders is to find that place to serve. Another thing that I thought of was just being an advocate and a participator. Participator. I grew up playing baseball, 
In fact, that's the only sport I played. Um, loved baseball. Loved being on the field and playing. In fact, I, gr- I grew up in Florida, and so I could almost play year-round. There was very few months that we did not play uh, baseball in Florida, whether it's on a traveling team. or. Uh, but I, what I hate, I, I didn't necessarily like going to the games. Right? Because I, had, I just sat there. Like, I wanted to be out on the field, and I wanted to be out there playing, and, and that's the way that God's designed the family of God. There really are no particip- or partic- uh, spectators. <laughs> there are really no spectators in the family of God. As we're called to follow Jesus, as we give our hearts to him, immediately he begins to reveal to us how we become participators. And that doesn't necessarily mean we fill a role. But I hope that we realize, and if, it, if, if you don't, I hope that it sinks in this morning, that God calls you to this place on a Sunday morning, not just because you can receive, but because you can give. There's something that God is doing in your life. There's something that he's given you. There's gifts and there's talents. There's a personality that he's given you that is for the people that are sitting right around you. So be an advocate of what's happening and, and, and get involved, participate in the things that you see happening. I'm mentioning the groups. I would love to see us at a place where you know, a high percentage of those that are here on Sunday morning are also participating in groups throughout the week. So the first one was support uh, spiritual leadership, and we see that in 12 and 13. In verse 13, we also see that it says this, work for unity as we live in peace. Peace together, not peace alone, <laughs> not peace when you're by yourself, but that we live in peace together. Unity is so important that Jesus spent his final moments, we see this in John 17, praying for unity within the church. If Jesus is spending his final moments praying for that, man, we've got to see that that is important. I thought of this too. Unity isn't everyone thinking the same thing, but it is everyone working to achieve the same thing, and that's to build God's kingdom. For us more specifically, it looks a lot like grace, but the kingdom at large, not just this church family. Wouldn't it be incredible that we get to a place where the work that we as a, a church family is doing in the community to build God's kingdom is actually growing every church in our community? Isn't that awesome? Listen, there's gonna be some people who give their hearts to Jesus or, or come back to Jesus and, and they just, they don't like this type of setting or they don't like the music or I don't, they don't like me or uh, I, I don't know. There's, there's gonna be times where that happens, but wouldn't it be awesome to see that we're leading so many people to Jesus that every church in our community is growing? Listen, that's kingdom work. In fact, I wouldn't mind seeing that happen where every other church in the community is growing and we're not if that's the work that God's doing through us. I wouldn't even mind seeing that. I think a natural occurrence is is that our church grows as well, but wouldn't that be incredible? But unity isn't us all thinking the same thing. It's us working for this one goal of building God's kingdom. Here's another point. Challenge those who are idle. We see this in verse 14. Challenge those who are idle and disruptive. Listen, from, from my own personality, being idle is not healthy. When we had, somebody laughed out loud. You were either laughing at me or you were laughing at yourself because you would probably fall into that. How many of you would say that being idle for you is not healthy? Like all of a sudden, your mind just goes to crazy places. For me, I would probably sink into depression really quickly. When we had to shut everything down, you know, a few, several months ago because of COVID and we were no longer getting together on Sunday mornings and I, was, I wasn't allowed to go into the office, I had to be really careful because I was fighting depression and I've never fought depression before in my life. 
But all of a sudden, because this isolation and this feeling of idleness, even though I was probably busier than ever because we were trying to figure out how to do everything virtually, and uh, this idleness for me is just not healthy. And Paul is actually addressing this. How many of you have kids that, like, you can't just expect that they're going to sit there and my kid would disappear and he's going to be down the road or in the toilet upstairs or, right, being idle, being disruptive. There was several times in Scripture where, where Paul is addressing Christians about being disruptive. Listen, to be honest, there's no such thing as a, a Christ follower who is idle. We know this by looking at Jesus' own life. Now, I, I feel like we have to do this in a healthy way, and we have to understand that there's certainly times where Jesus separates himself to be with the Father, but he's never idle. He was always about his Father's business. Here's another one. Help those who are disheartened and struggling in their faith. We, we have to be doing this. We have to be. And if you don't really know what to say, then just spend time praying with people. Let's not sink into a pattern where, where, where we're only praying for people. Let's pray with people. When we see brothers and sisters in Christ that are disheartened and discouraged, man, let's at least take the time to pray with them. Let's be encouraging. Let's give a listening ear. Here's one. Be patient. We see this in verse 14. Be patient as we're all in process. We're all in process. Every one of us is in process. The last thing is this, to be kind to one another as differences are resolved. Man, again, I love diversity. I'm not talking about just culturally either. I love diverse ways of thinking, diverse ways of worshiping, diverse ways of having fun, diverse ways of growing in, in knowledge and experience. I love diversity, and I believe that God has designed us that way. But let's be okay with the different ways of thinking. I would bring us back to we're not called to all think the same, but we are all called to work together to build God's kingdom. That can be a common goal that pulls us together. So here's the second main point of this morning. We have family responsibilities. The second point is this. We've got personal responsibilities as we, as we live out our faith and community. I'm going to kind of speed through these because these, I think these are very self-explanatory, and we want to end with a time of worship this morning. Uh, but here's some of our personal responsibilities as we live out our faith. The first one is this. Choose an attitude of joy. We see that in verse 16. Choose an attitude of joy. I think every one of us would admit that there's many reasons that we could complain. There's many reasons that we as Christ followers could be discouraged in society and culture today. So let's all agree that that's the case. I don't know that that's ever going to be different. I think there's always going to be things that as a Christ follower could, could be discouraging. But I have to choose that I'm always going to have an attitude of joy no matter what's happening around me. Here's the second thing, live connected to God. We see that in verse 17. Praying continually, we have to live connected with God. And that doesn't just happen on Sunday mornings. If this is the only time that you're trying to connect with God, I would say there's so much more that God has for you. It's never this condemning way. I don't think that God ever comes in. So if, if I ever say anything that brings on guilt, I would just say, let's confront that. Because I certainly don't mean to. God never does that. He doesn't, he doesn't point your flaws out to bring guilt and shame. He, he points our flaws out because he wants us to be closer to him. That's just his heart. We've got to live connected with God. We've got to cultivate an attitude of gratitude, so not just of joy, but that we continually are thankful for the things that God has done in our life. Again, going back to there's many things that we could complain about, rightfully so maybe, 
as a human being. But even when those things are happening, I'm, I'm constantly going to God and, and I'm remembering the, the many things that I'm so thankful for. When everything's falling apart, I can go to God and say, God, thank you so much for forgiveness because I need it. Thank you so much for your grace, right? Thank you so much for kids that love Jesus. Thank you, God, right? There's always things that we can be thankful for. So develop that. Let it be a part of your life. When everyone around you is complaining that all of a sudden you begin to share, man, this is what I'm thankful for. And the last thing is this, embrace the work of the Holy Spirit. You see that in verse 19. Embrace the work that he's doing in your life. Embrace the work that he's doing in this place. Embrace the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our community, in our world. Let's go close our eyes. It's an authentic faith. Faith must change who we are. It must change how we live. Authentic faith means we no longer live to please ourselves or to please the world around us, but we live our lives to please God. That's really what worship is. Worship is anything that we do that pleases God. You know, as we sing this last song, as we worship with this last song, can we just make a declaration within our own hearts, maybe more importantly in our own minds, to declare that there's no one else more important to me than Jesus. There's nothing else. There's no one else that I need. Let's go ahead and stand and worship this morning.